Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Matthew Herman, one of the co-founders of fragrance brand Voicemails. Hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm so well. Thanks, Priya. How are you? I'm good. Dog days of summer. We're about to, you know, head up for Labor Day, and you have so much going on in September. Did you get any time off this summer? I know, I know. Well, right now we are full speed ahead in planning and executing some really exciting launches. But yes, I got a little bit of time off this summer. I went to Mexico for um, a couple of days, but um, yeah, it's been lovely. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles, so we're close to the ocean. Always summer in LA, right? Exactly. Um, Matthew, before we kind of get started about what's going on in September, which is a lot, you know, from Sephora to some really cool collaborations, um, I would love to hear a little bit about yours and David's founder story because, you know, it seems like you were one of the first fragrance brands that cool indie fragrance brands that kind of came out of the market and has gotten so much attention in such a short amount of time. But you, both of you weren't in beauty prior to this, correct? No, no. Both me and David Kian, our other co-founder, both come from fashion background. So um, I went to school at Central St. Martin's in London, and then I worked in London for a little bit. I worked in New York at some, you know, more high-end runway uh, designers. Uh, and then I moved out to LA to work for Nasty Gal, which was my first fast fashion uh, job. And in LA, I met David and we, you know, early on in meeting, just kind of, we're thinking a lot about like, what are the products that really speak to us? And somehow candles jumped out, but we were talking about home and fashion and, and everything. And just feeling like there wasn't necessarily a brand or a store that had all the things that we wanted, but like at the price that we wanted to pay for them. And having come from like, you know, um, an education that was really focused on like high concept, high design, and then kind of carrying that through the beginning part of my professional life. When I got to Nasty Gal, it was really exciting because it was the first kind of larger fast fashion job where no one ever asked you to like skimp on design or skimp on concept. It was just like whole hog, craziest stuff that you can imagine, but done for a mass audience. And I really fell in love with this idea of being able to like not skimp on concept, not skimp on design, but still offer something that felt like elevated, but, you know, keeping within a price point and, you know, a price and margin structure that, you know, um, that could still like deliver something at a really great price. So, you know, our main candles, our black and pink candles are, you know, they cost uh, $34. And I think it's like a really competitive price point to enter, you know, just uh, most candles, like from a lot of brands that that I love, and, and I know other people who buy them, you know, they can cost um, above $100 sometimes. And, you know, for us being able to bring modern fragrance uh, at a much more accessible price point was like a really exciting idea for us. And, and, you know, what the name of the brand, you know, which I think is like what people most often want to know about. That's a different, you know, a different story, but it did kind of speak to what I was saying. Like, we didn't feel like there were products out there that represented us. And, you know, as a queer individual, I, 
went through this kind of like second coming of age. I think when you're grow up, we're, um, I grew up in Texas, like you're finding like your personality, but you're also finding like what works for everybody else, like, and what works for you. And you're kind of like meeting in the middle. And I think that's just the insecurity of youth, you know, at play. And I mean, that's not necessarily unique to only queer people, but I think it's queer people very much understand that, that experience. Um, so, you know, as I got older and matured and like become more, uh, you know, um, happy in my own skin, you know, I really started to like, think about like, if I hadn't have grown up knowing that certain things that I wanted to do, I shouldn't, or certain acting a certain way as a way that maybe was frowned upon or being interested in certain things wasn't necessarily so accepted. A big part of that kind of like peeling of the unpeeling away of the onion was like, you know, I really love my femininity, but it's not something that I ever really took pride in. And so going to the fragrance counter and starting to wear rose or tulip or jasmine scented scents, like was a really big, very empowering moment for me because I think especially like really cool, amazing, sophisticated fragrance can make you feel like a total fucking badass, whether it be in a candle or in a bottle of perfume. And that like really kind of like started to pry the door open for a much bigger journey of self-discovery. So, you know, when we call the brand boy smells, but we put it in the pink box, you know, the pink is obviously, you know, is supposed to be for girls and, and boy means boy. And, you know, being able to be like, I'm a guy, I like this thing that's supposed to be for girls and it's the best thing about me. You know, I'm just going to like claim that space. Um, that's why we called it boy smells and put it in the pink box. But when, you know, when I took it into to work or showed it to my colleagues or my friends, especially my girlfriends, you know, they were, they were the ones who are wearing, you know, T Tuscan leather by Tom Ford or Santal 33, you know, these much more traditionally masculine scents. And, they saw the packaging, the pink box called boy smells. And they were like, that's for me. And I don't think I real, I don't think we realized when we started the brand that there was a sense of permission embedded in just the branding itself. That was like very like provocative to a sense of tradition around, you know, what's supposed to be for boys, what's supposed to be for girls. And obviously we're all throwing those rules out. Um, and I think boy smells, the branding, what we do, we mix traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine scent notes together to kind of represent a more like full view of people. Um, I think that that just, you know, it kind of hit a right chord at a right time. And, and I'm, you know, and, and people really seem to respond to the brand uh, right off the bat. Matthew, one of the things that really strikes me about this brand is that, you know, it was well before the pandemic, well before the self-care moment of like 2020, you guys were making these candles in your kitchen in 2015. But beyond the price and beyond this juxtaposition of male and female, it was really a specialty experience. Like if I remember correctly, you guys were seeking out like the best, most special stores in every single market beyond, you know, just going mass retail in XYZ store. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's important to, to know, like, this was a side hustle. You know, uh, me and David didn't quit our jobs till 18 months into starting the brand. You know, we both had 
good jobs in fashion, you know, uh, benefits, 401ks, you know, good salaries, stuff like that. So, you know, when we started, we were really just like showing it to friends in the industry. And we just quick, it quickly happened that, you know, so-and-so owned this store or, oh, my friend bought them for her friends for Christmas and she sent them back to New York. And then all of a sudden people are reaching out being like, how do I get this? You know? So it was really, um, you know, often on these podcasts, you know, you hear people who, you know, you know, have business degrees, like wrote this, like really specific plot pointed, um, business plan. And they knew where they were going to be exactly in three years. And for David and myself, we did this as a hobby for fun. And it really, I don't think we realized the, like how embraced the brand would be so quickly. So after about six months, David quit his job after about 12 months, I quit, quit my job. My, my job was a little bit cushier than, than David's at the time. So, um, but you know, it was interesting. You know, we, we were in by George because a friend of mine, um, which is a pinnacle kind of retailer in Austin. Cause a friend of mine had, had bought that. Um, when I worked at nasty gal, um, Lisa from Lisa says God was my dress buyer and I was the dress designer. So, you know, I sent them to her and then it was on Lisa says God. And then, you know, the people at, uh, uh, 45, 10 over six, they were carrying it cause they'd seen it in by George. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, we're in Barney's rest in peace, you know, we're in Selfridges and it really kind of was, um, this almost positioned as kind of like a fashion savvy person's kind of affordable candle brand. Um, and I, I, we could not have, um, it, it couldn't have been better, you know, like, like if we had planned it, um, I don't even know if it would have come off that way. It was really, it was really lucky. And, um, and we didn't have a ton of high aspirations for the brand when we first started it. Cause we really just wanted it to be a recreational, like little side hustle. So it was really in like year two and three, where we really started to get serious. We left our jobs. We were running the entire business out of what started in the living room. Then it was the living room in the kitchen. Then it was the living room, kitchen in the sunroom. Then all of a sudden there's inventory in the hallways and the guest bedroom is just housing, you know, extra stock and raw materials. So it really took off faster than, um, than, than we had expected. And, and, you know, I, I, I feel lucky and, and blessed and, and it's been so exciting to then be able to take something that uh, was this unexpected surprise. And then, you know, what I was talking about where we embrace our masculine and our feminine, we call that gender full at boy smells rather than gender less. And we've gotten to do a bunch of really cool kind of, um, you know, charitable give backs, like education around gender inclusion, the diversity of gender, the spectrum of gender. We've been able to participate in a lot of really cool conversations around identity. And I think that that's been the most, you know, I'm so happy that Boy Smells is successful, like, you know, as a brand, but I being able to participate um, in community and conversations like has been the kind of like the most rewarding surprise, I think, of of starting Boy Smells. 
You know, last time we talked, Matthew, you mentioned to me that, you know, you guys were trucking along, things were going well. Obviously, you left your jobs, you were doing the business. You were making about $2 million or so in revenue, and then Casey Musgraves happened. Tell us a little bit about what that was all about. Yeah, the brand was doing really well. Every year we were, you know, we doubled, doubled, sometimes more than doubled. And then in 2019, it was the first year that we only grew by about 75%. And while that is fantastic growth for 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 anyone, it was it took us a little bit by surprise. And because we were mostly based on a wholesale strategy at that time. You know, we were going to trade shows, going to Paris, going to New York, you know, uh, I think we went to Miami a couple of times. Um, And we, neither David nor I really had the digital chops, you know, to bring a really strong D2C experience to our customers. So we really invest, decided at the end of 2019 to heavily invest in digital. So we hired a digital marketing agency. We ramped up marketing internally. Um, we just really hadn't spent that any money kind of on awareness. Then you layer on top of that the fact that Casey Musgraves had DM'd me um, saying that they she wanted to do a collab with us and how much she loved the brand. And I'm a Texan, she's a Texan, and I had seen her a couple of times. Like I saw her open for Willie once in Austin. I'd seen her at a you know in Marfa, and you know I thought she was so cool and. So, you know, we had gotten together at the end of her um, of her Golden Hour tour. She invited us up to New York and we met with the perfumers and had Negronis at, at the fragrance houses and like had this whole crazy kind of experience with the perfumers and and created this really amazing, fun scent. And that was coming out. And then obviously we didn't know this, but, you know, the pandemic was right around the corner. So, you know, there was a lot of things Casey Musgraves included that fueled some really astronomical <laughs> growth in 2020. Um, you know, we had a really ripe audience who'd heard about voicemails just through press and word of mouth and maybe seeing it in stores, but we hadn't really capitalized on that in any way through digital, you know, advertising. Um, the slow burn candle, it sold out in like, I think the first like, you know, 20 minutes or something. And then it had a 20,000 person wait list. And then, you know, the pandemic came and like, literally, I think it was March, like 12th through 17th or something. I can't remember the exact date. So we all like went into lockdown, but there was literally a vertical spike on our D2C channel sales through those days. And it just kind of stayed there through the next two years, you know, people were stuck at home and. I think I think at the time everyone was labeling it the comfort economy, which I always made me laugh because it sounded like a seat assignment at Delta or something like that. But <laughs> um, uh, but you know, you know, uh, pots, pans, athleisure, and candles, you know, all did really well at that time, and that was exciting. And like that was really, really, it was exciting on this side of the business, just seeing like you know something that you work so many years on just like blow you know, blow it out of the water. You know, our D2C channel grew a thousand percent that year. We actually cut off wholesale for about three to six months because people were canceling POs left and right. You know, major retailers were just like, we don't know what's happening. All POs are canceled. You know, like it was, it was like a financial lockdown for, for big box retail too. 
So, you know, luckily um, we still grew 50% in our wholesale channel, but D2C was this huge growth of a thousand percent. And, you know, we did restock slow burn, I think three or four times that year. It sold out every single time. And it's rare that you're like, we're going to like air in all the glass for this production because the demand is that high, you know, like that's, we, we were just, we couldn't keep it in stock. And it was, it was fun because, you know, our office and our team really banded together. Our candle factory got shut down, you know, some componentry that comes from overseas, they were shut down. It was real scrappy. We were setting people up with at home, like garage candle pouring, you know, factories, like we bought fold out tables and industrial wax melters and dropped off raw materials and boxes to like all of the people who couldn't go into the factory. Uh, we don't own our factory, but we're close with them. You know, we were setting people up at home with like, basically like at home candle factory offices and you know, getting in a U-Haul every day, dropping off raw materials, picking up finished production, bringing it back and shipping it out all, all in our small office. It was, it was a really, when people look back on the pandemic, I'm like, whoa, that was so crazy because we worked so hard, you know, and I think it was a very different pandemic experience than a lot of other people had. And, and I, it's probably, you know, I, I felt lucky at the time because, because we were too busy to get too depressed, you know. The opportunity with Casey, I mean, it's out of the ordinary almost, you know, like the fact that she DM'd you, she was at the height of her like breakout, the candles called slow burn, the album, like it's, you just can't make this stuff up almost. Yeah, it was great. And you have largely steered clear from collaborations. I know you guys did one with Ghani, the fashion house, but how do you kind of make or ensure that lightning strikes twice? How can you prepare that, that it could or that it might? Yeah. I mean, you can't. And, you know, we got in this whole thing, you know, with um, digital agencies who want to like scrape conversations and look at their data and their audience and all this stuff. And while I really appreciate that, I think that some things are just meant to be and synergetic and, you know, just work out the right way. And, um, you know, we are planning our second celebrity collaboration and it is with somebody. Well, let me back up two seconds. Casey Musgraves represents our genderful values. You know, genderfulness is about expanding the definition of your gender, defying expectations, exceeding expectations based on other people's limited kind of perspective of you. So Casey Musgraves and the country music industry, the country music industry is just full of this old boys club. You know, a lot of country music radio won't even play Casey Musgraves. I think she wasn't allowed to be nominated for a country music Grammy this year. Like, you know, so she is like paving her own way, exceeding the expectations and redefining, I think, what it means to be a woman in country music today and redefining the genre in general. So she's very much within our genderful values. So when planning our second celebrity collaboration, like our values led our decision. And we sat down um, between Christmas and New Year's when it was quiet and nobody else was around. And we were like, if we could choose one person that represents our genderful values, that represents who we are as a brand, like who would we want to work with? And so we went after 
that person, you know, not the person that maybe the digital, you know, people who, you know, want to inform every decision about what's going to be, get the most audience reach or whatever. We went after the person that we really felt like represented our brand values because we're a values first company and, um, and we're really excited. Um, it'll be coming out in just a couple of weeks. And that person's Grace Jones, correct? That, that person is Grace Jones. Exactly. I mean, this is just so wild to me because, I mean, she is the ultimate fashion icon. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but you think about the Jean-Paul Goud photos, you know, the Schwarzenegger movie I'm forgetting the name of right now. She is everything in yeah. terms of fashion and genderful values. How difficult was it? I mean, Grace, I don't think, was slipping into your DMs like Casey was. How difficult was it ensuring that Grace was going to be a part of this? Because although she's a huge beauty icon as well – she really hasn't been the face of anything. Yeah, she is, um, you know, she is elusive. She's iconic. She is, you know, uh, ruthlessly authentic to herself at all times, you know, she, um, and all of those things we just, we love about her. You know, we reached out to her team um, and we, they were receptive to the conversation, Um the success of Slow Burn is, um, I think a lot of people see as kind of like best practices when doing a collab. And, you know, I think we presented to her how, you know, Grace led, I mean, Casey led, you know, a lot of co-creation, you know, we're not the type of brand who like, is like, hey, we have this product, can we slap your name on it? we get into the fragrance houses, we get into creating the candle together, we get into product design, you know, even the launch event, you know, we really want whoever we're collaborating with to feel like, you know, this is an extension of them and their creativity. And, you know, the candle that we're doing with Grace is absolutely fantastic. It is so good and so sexy and so wonderful. But you know, she really wanted to talk about, you know, her olfactive memories of growing up in Jamaica um, after the rain, like, you know, uh, that moisture kind of evaporating off of the flora of Jamaica, the salt water drying off the rocks of the shore. And it just has like all of these just fantastic, you know, it's got black pepper, rose absolute, ambrox, cedar. It's got this gravel stone note in it. It's got salted musk. It just feels like, like while it is an homage to Jamaica, like when you smell it, you're kind of like, this is what I would hope Grace Jones would smell like. You know, it, it it's really fantastic. And you guys are plotting this out in the sense like it's going to be sold on your site, but it's also going to be sold on Grace's site, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're we're doing a very limited distribution um, and we're really excited about that. That's what we did with Slow Burn when it first came out. Um, and it's really nice to give something special to, you know, people who want to shop on voicemails.com. And, you know, this really is like the biggest culmination of you know, these kinds of collabs are really a culmination of like our brand values of our community and like really doing like really fun, exciting things that we think um, the people who love the brand will get really excited about. And so, yeah, we're keeping it a, a, a tight distribution for launch. 
Beyond the collaboration news and obviously Grace, a lot of other things are happening for you guys in September. First off, you guys are going into Sephora, which is a huge, huge undertaking and opportunity, but you also are doubling down on your fine fragrance offering. You know, people know you guys as their favorite candle brand, and you are trying to move beyond that into other categories. So will you tell us a little bit about both of those opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. You know, fine fragrance, personal fragrance, eau de parfum, um, you know, this is really what you put on to like go out and represent yourself each day. It is so personal. It's so linked to identity. And, you know, all of those things are really like what we love to chat about, you know, a boy smells with our genderful values. So doing fine fragrance was always the a goal, the goal, you know, it was always where we wanted to take it. Um, candles um, was something like having not come from the fragrance industry. It was something that we were felt more comfortable tackling first, but fine fragrance is, you know, where we knew that we wanted to always end up and, and we're here and it's really exciting, you know, um, you know, while those early years, all of our growth was really fueled by the candle category, you know, our this past year, the year that we're in now has really seen um, significant growth for the fine fragrance category that was just launched last year. So it's such an exciting thing to kind of always want to do something and then you finally do it. And it's like, and it's more successful more quickly than you'd have anticipated. And what's wonderful about the partnership with Sephora is that, you know, they're known as a fine fragrance destination and it's our first bigger retailer who will be getting behind the fine fragrance collection in as meaningful, if not more meaningful way than our candle collection. So we're thrilled to be able to like bring our fine fragrances into Sephora. And we realize that a lot of people still discover fine fragrance IRL, you know, like people are still, you know, I found at least for me, I've all of my favorite fragrances are things that I've found on fragrance counters or through retailers like Sephora, because you really want to like smell it before you buy it. And, um, and so it's a really amazing opportunity to be able to kind of like bring boy smells, genderful fragrances to the much broader audience of Sephora that's exciting for us. And I think it's exciting for Sephora to bring a brand in that, you know, reflects the evolving ideas around what a brand means and around identity. And we probably attract, you know, we are, we were really sit pretty with millennials, but we have a really strong Gen Z customer base. We, we actually have crazy bookend growth. Like, like we do really well over 45s do, but, you know, I think we really represent kind of like a new, the new guard of fragrance and how people use fragrance and and what fragrance, how re- fragrance reflects um, modern identity. So um, I'm excited for them and I'm excited for us. I think it's a it's a really great partnership for for everybody. When you think about what you want fine fragrance to be, I imagine it's about fifty percent what candles are and home fragrances now, with the remainder being home fragrance. What does it look like right now? Yeah. Right now, um, Fine Fragrance represents uh, 25 plus percent of the business. Our like getting it to 25 percent of the total business was a three-year goal, which we've you know basically achieved in about a year and a half, um, which has been just thrilling. Um, and now we're really focusing on how do we sustain that growth and continue to increase it. 
one thing that we did at the beginning when we launched Fine Fragrance was only launch new scents in the category. Um, and since then, we have launched Hinoki Phantom, the Fine Fragrance, and we've replicated our Kush collection into Fine Fragrances as well. Um, so we're seeing successes in like the unique skews to find fragrance and we're seeing success in the skews that are translations from uh, the fine fragrance skews that are translations from our candles. And so that's really um, fun to be able to offer both unique new items and then also be able to, to give the customer who loves some of our best selling candles that in a fine fragrance format. Of course, not every candle is meant to be a fine fragrance, so we don't plan to do it across every scent, but there has been a select few that we're, that we're translating over into fine fragrances, and, and that's really helped us leverage the candle scents and leverage, uh, leverage the kind of halo effect of some of our best-selling candle scents and introduce and lead the customer over into fine fragrance and try it for the first time. You know, this category historically has been quite stuffy, fine fragrance specifically. In the sense when you go to the counter, it's kind of very like behind the curtain. You have to ask someone to try it, as well as the fact that, you know, it's split into fragrance and cologne or perfume and cologne. You know, you touched on this a little bit with candles, but, you know, I'm wondering, Matthew, like, is do you think this natural extension, the fact that you are androgynous or non-traditional or for everyone will extend to other categories as well? I mean, I can imagine boy smells, you know, body wash or lotion or the whole, the whole world of scent. Um, Yeah. I think, I think we're ready to like take on, um, you know, other aspects of the vanity, other aspects of the medicine cabinet, other aspects of the bathroom experience. Um, And, you know, I think all of that is right for kind of a genderful makeover. And I think the thing that like is the most important for me when thinking about expanding into new categories is will when using the product are you going to come away feeling like wow i haven't smelt something like that before or this product is unique to this time and place of now you know like if we develop you know we're we have interlaunch developed hand, hand washes and lotions and we'll be launching it later this year but I want to make sure that, you know, it feels new, cool. We're doing something with it that's never been done before. And that people are going to be like, you know, this seem, feels right for me right now. This reflects my identity. This is an enriching moment in my day and not like a throwaway moment. I think the thing that like, like you know, whether you're brushing your teeth or putting on your deodorant or or whatever it is, like all of those are moments to be like, wow, like, this reflects my identity. This is an enriching moment. I feel more myself after doing this. And I really hope that, you know, the way that we approach scent and the fact that we want to keep it modern, the fact that we mix traditionally masculine and feminine together, that all of these moments, which could be throwaway, become these kind of like self-realization moments through your day. And like, you enjoyed the time you spent brushing your teeth. That wasn't just like a chore, you know, or like you enjoyed like washing your hands and like putting lotion on afterwards. It wasn't just like, cause you know, you're supposed to, you know, and like, that's like, th- those are what I want, you know, and I want people to burn candles cause they like love the sense and think it's like cool. And like, they've never smelled anything like that before. 
So that's, this is what really drives our, our innovation. You know, it's our values, but it's also really wanting to make sure that the products we make today reflect like the times, you know? It seems like a lot of these things happen very easily, Matthew, you know, obviously Casey, you know, Sephora coming to you, you know, the way that you were able to double down even after certain retailers close like Barney's. But I also know that being a founder in beauty is very, very difficult, especially right now after the pandemic, as we go into a recession, what's been hard for you? Oh my gosh. You know, organizational growth has been, has been, you know, is always a challenge, you know, uh, we, you know, for two fashion school students who started a candle company, just the two of them in their living room, you know, to then go to, you know, you really have to be buttoned up when you're, you know, when you're participating in big box retail, you know, so, you know, that has been, you know, huge. And, and we've hired a CEO, uh, last year, who's come on, who has a great chops and experience, um, you know, funding growth is always, you know, you know, exciting, um, planning growth is and projecting growth is always challenging, um, especially with the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, you know, it's been, you know, there's no one has a crystal ball on like what the future holds, but, you know, we've been really lucky, I think, in a lot of ways to been able to capitalize on growth um, in times that have been uncertain. And it's been wonderful that, you know, home fragrance brought relief to so many people during a really trying period, you know, during the pandemic. Um, But, you know, diversifying our product category is a big part of our strategy to, you know, mitigating risk of being overly dependent in one category or another category. So, um, you know, as we come out of the pandemic and, and home fragrance, you know, people are, you know, you know, frantically burning candles all day, every day, just to get some relief from, you know, the stress or anxiety or not being able to go outside, you know, we're seeing a big, you know, people are returning to in life, real experiences, and they want to have like an awesome new fine fragrance to, to wear out into the world. And, and that's a beautiful thing too, that we get to supply our customers. So you know, as we look to the future and, and we try to become smarter and, and, and more nimble, I think, you know, uh, category expansion is something that we're really excited about just from a creative point of view. And I think it's something we're excited about from a growth point of view as well. Is there any worry for you? Just, you know, I know that you guys don't have institutional investment right now. You have this big retail partner, you know, obviously you're moving into new categories. Like what's kind of the the balance or the dance that you have with growing and satisfying the growth of everyone around you, yourselves included, but then also being careful that you're a brand that's here in two years, in five years, in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk about that. um, We talk about that a lot, you know, about, you know, making sure that the longevity of our organization is protected. And, you know, that really comes down to, um, you know, organizational structure, uh, technology, um, you know, being able to have the resources to fund um, inventory and being able to be nimble in inventory. Um, And then, you know, I think something for us that um, we're looking down the road to is also like, you know, owning our brick and mortar stores eventually 
and being able to bring that experience to to our customers in their cities. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things that you have to do to ensure that um, you don't stumble too hard along the way. But, you know, we we do have about five pillars that are kind of of key importance to us that, you know, we're focusing on internally just to make sure that, you know, we're a brand that's here for tomorrow um, and forever. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being here. It's great to be talking to you and to see a fellow Texan again. Um, and so many exciting things happening in September for you. Congratulations. Oh, thanks so much, Priya. It was so much fun chatting today. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.